Good morning, everyone. Well, Father, we thank you today as we uh, move into uh, continuing into Advent. Father, I thank you that uh, you are preparing our hearts for change. You are taking us on a journey, God, and you're drawing our hearts and our affection. And Lord, we even felt it this morning in worship, God, as you, we sang about your glory and your presence and stepping into God, we realize that the, the, the Christmas holiday and into the new year is a time where many people refocus their lives. And God, there is change in the air. And Father, we don't want to just change externally, but God, we're asking for change internally. That God, you would move on our hearts and that God, you would prepare us for your coming, that you would prepare the church for your second return, that you are going to come as you split through the eastern sky, God. There's going to be another advent, another arrival of your presence, the arrival of your second coming. And the world is going to know that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. Though they may not want you now, God, they will realize that you are King of kings and that you are Lord of lords when you come through the eastern sky. And so, God, this morning, we want to celebrate the coming of your advent, even in Christmas, but also the advent of your arrival in your soon coming return to the earth, that, God, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord and you are Christ. So, God, we prepare even our hearts for your second coming, God, knowing that you are not done yet <laughs> and that your kingdom will be established on the earth. And so, Lord, we love you and we honor you today. And we just pray your blessing upon your word today, God, that it would truly penetrate our hearts. It would prepare us even for that advent of your return. So, Father, we thank you for that. And we love you and we honor you in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. How many of you are looking forward to the return of the Lord? We cannot quit talking about that, by the way. Uh, last funeral I did, I was... Uh, uh, at the the cemetery at the gravesite, and all the people were standing around the the um, the coffin, and uh, I reminded everybody there that as we look to the east, that sky is going to split open, and the dead in Christ are going to rise. There is going to be a return of our Lord and Savior, and we uh, we want to hasten that day. Amen. So praise the Lord for that. Well, last week we talked about um, we needed to. Uh, Unhijack Christmas. We talked about how Christmas has been hijacked in our culture, and we talked about how the Spirit of God is wanting to get America reclaimed. I know I shared some statistics last week, and one of those statistics were what is the reason for Christmas? And only 8% of the people, when surveyed, uh, stated that it was to celebrate the birth of Christ. And uh, so it's amazing how our culture has gotten away from the real meaning of Christmas. And we see it all over, don't we? We see it all over. And part of the glory of the church, part of the mission of the church is to not just talk about Christmas, but it's to talk about the arrival of our Lord and Savior and, and the good news that he takes away the sins of the world. Amen? And so I want to encourage you to get very vocal with your faith. Not just at this season, but in all seasons, that we have got to get really busy about expressing our faith in Christ and the work of his redemption. Amen? And so we want to unhijack Christmas. We talked about changing some of our traditions last week and to, re to restore Christmas. 
we talked and discussed it about how we discussed <laughs> discussed it. We discussed about what Advent is and how Advent is a season where we, if we will recapture Advent and we will recapture the significance Advent of Advent in preparing our hearts for the Savior's arrival, that we can actually turn and make Christmas more special in our own hearts. And I don't know about you, I have really had a wonderful time as I have looked into Advent more specifically for my own life. There has been some really sweet things that the Lord's doing in my heart. How about you guys? I really heard some good things about some devotionals that some of you are using, things you're doing in your family when it comes to Advent that you're incorporating. It was really neat. I came home the other day, and I was sitting in my recliner getting ready to study, and there was this new nativity scene underneath my TV. <laughs> I thought she was going to wait till after the season, and this beautiful nativity, I was going to take a picture of it and, and show it to you, was on our TV uh, table in the center of our family room, and it was beautiful. But uh, we, want to, we want to really incorporate Advent into our family, and I hope you guys are doing that as well. I talked about last week, just as a recap, what Advent is. It is a four-week period leading up to Christmas dedicated for Christians to remember and celebrate the arrival of Jesus Christ, our Messiah, coming to the earth. Many throughout the world will engage in prayer, lighting candles, scripture study, decorating their homes, and sharing with their children the story of Christ. It is a time of preparing our hearts to celebrate our Savior's birth on Christmas Day. Amen. So this week, as we move into Advent, this is actually the third week of the week leading up to Christmas. And the third week of Advent is typically uh, the, the week uh, where we celebrate the joy of the Lord. And um, traditionally, it focuses on the joy that comes through Jesus' arrival, and the joy that comes through the salvation he has gifted us with. How many are glad that they are saved in Jesus Christ? Amen. The joy of our salvation. And so the third candle, that if some families are lighting a candle, some churches today will light the third candle in Advent. <clears throat> and that third candle is the candle of joy, or it is also sometimes called the shepherd's candle. And because of the joy that the shepherds actually, the joy that came over the shepherds as the angel of the Lord appeared to them in the night hour, and the glory of the Lord that we just sang about, the glory of the Lord showed up in that, that scene as they were shepherding and watching their sheep, and the angel declared to them, Good news of great joy. A, in, a, in the city of David, a, a Savior is born who will bring joy to all men. And so that's why this third week is the week of joy. And I'm going to tap into a little bit of that joy today. I believe God wants to baptize us in some joy. Anybody need the baptism of joy? Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Amen. It is a part of our faith. It is a part of the Lord. But this is what the angel of the Lord said to them in Luke 2. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. Everybody say good news. That will cause great joy. Say great joy. For all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And then verse 20, he drops down. 
the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told by the angels. You see the joy in that verse? Do you see the joy that they had as they returned with praise and celebration? And I tell you what, I, I want some more of that, right? So today, in our reading plan, I really, even last night after the Christmas party, I went home and I spent about an hour just kind of going over the message, and uh, it changed a lot even yesterday morning as I was preparing the message, because to be honest with you, as I was reading Matthew 1, reading Matthew 2, reading Luke 1, Luke 2, and just saturating myself with the Christmas story, there are so many places I could go today. There were so many things that the Spirit of God was just stirring up in my heart. I thought I was going to bring some history of all the prophetic words that, that, that spoke about Jesus coming that were, I mean, that are littered throughout the whole Old Testament. There are so many scriptures that I could have went through today just to, to validate the authenticity of our faith and of the Lord Jesus, of how the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament, how he was going to be born in Bethlehem, how he would be from the city of Nazareth. If he's born in Bethlehem, how can he be from Nazareth? And how the whole story of, of, of Joseph and Mary leaving Nazareth where they were at, for the, the census and going to Bethlehem and all those prophetic words from Isaiah and Jeremiah and all the minor prophets and Amos and, 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 and it's amazing how many scriptures in the Old Testament, seven, eight, eight, nine hundred years before Jesus even comes on the scene, that, that God was telling the prophets, hey, a Savior is coming, hey, he's coming. And here's how he will come, and this is what he will do, and he will save the, the, the people from their sins. And it's just, a, so I thought I was going to go there, but no, guys, yeah. Jehovah Sneaky, everybody like Jehovah Sneaky? I thought I was going to go with uh, the whole story about Joseph and, and Mary, and I thought I was going to talk about that and how, how alarmed Joseph would have been when he finds out his wife is pregnant. And I thought, yep, that's where I'm going. Nope, 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 nope. Hmm. So I'm going to go today from our reading plan, and I'm going to go for, it's, it's really this reading plan for Advent that really began to stir my heart. And it really starts for me. I'm just going to share you a journey with what I've went through this week in the genealogy of Jesus. And what God began to show me of what God was doing through the word of God to show the genealogy of Jesus that I honestly have passed through. It's like going through the book of Leviticus and you look at all the names and you go through all the people and all the law and all the stuff. And so many times we graze through uh, the, the genealogy of Jesus and, and we don't even realize the importance of it. But I believe God's going to do a work in our hearts uh, through that because there's so much history and foretelling of Christ even in it that has really brought me so much joy this week. I had said so much joy from reading the word this week and going through this study that I had no clue where I was going to go today. And uh, so I'm just going to pop through the genealogy. I'm going to go through this today and, and, 
and share, you know, how God and what he has done in my heart this week. And hopefully you'll get a sense of joy because I really have come out of this uh, this week with just a tremendous joy of my salvation, of the gift of salvation that God has given to me and to you and what that means. And I pray that that gets translated into our hearts today as I try to communicate the journey that I was on this week. So I'm going to share some of that journey. You guys okay with that today? So we're going to start here, which looks like really some really boring reading, but it's really not. And I'm going to show, share with you why it's not. Um, how many have read the genealogy of Jesus this week? Maybe something stuck out to you. I'm going to share what has stuck out with me. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's a message in itself, too. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadad, Aminadad the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Now, I am not going to go with the rest of that chapter, because the rest of that chapter goes through one after another, this one the father of this, this one the father of this, this one the father of this, and I just wanted to get the first six verses for a reason. The genealogy in Matthew that the book of Matthew writes, this genealogy that you see here is the genealogy through Joseph. In Luke, Luke gives us the genealogy of Jesus through his mother Mary. But this one is specific and it gives you, it was more for the Israelites. Luke was writing more to the Gentiles. But Matthew writes to the Jew and he shows them from the very beginning from Abraham all the way to Jesus, the history and the lineage of Jesus and how he came through this lineage that we are seeing here. And so um, Matthew, uh, at, the in, uh, yeah, at, the end of the, at the end of this genealogy description, Matthew says there were 14 generations between Abraham and David. He then says there were 14 generations from David to the exile of the, of, the, of the Israelites to Babylon where they were taken as hostage and they were, their land was destroyed. There was 14 generations between that and then there was 14 generations from the exile all the way to Jesus Christ. And so there, here we have you know, 42 generations that, that, that have, have produced the history, and the bloodline of Jesus Christ. There are 42 generations. And I was, as I was reading this, and if you go back over it, this is what the Holy Spirit does to me. Everybody, the Holy Spirit highlights something different to you, and this is the journey that he took me on. And I looked in there, and I was like, why are there only four mothers listed in 42 generations? There are... If you count Mary, there's five women out of 42 women that are even mentioned in this genealogy. 
Does that, did that, I mean, did anybody else think that was really weird? Maybe not. And so I was like, okay, so now let's read that scripture this way with the women highlighted. In this passage, there are four women who are mentioned in this scripture, and then Mary is mentioned at the very end, and we're going to focus on these four women. Judah, the father of Perez, the mother of Tamar, whose mother was Tamar, and then we have Ruth, or yes, or Rahab, excuse me, the mother of Rahab, Rahab, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, and then we have Obed, whose mother was Ruth, and then we have the mother of Solomon, who doesn't even get her name put in here. Mother has been Uriah's wife, which was Bathsheba. So these, this is the breakdown of the five men, women mentioned in the scriptures. So we have Judah and his wife Tamar, and they have twins, Perez and Zerah. Perez is the one that Jesus, the bloodline, came through, was through Perez. He was the firstborn. Salmon and his wife Rahab and their son Boaz in verse 5. And we have Boaz and his wife Ruth and their son Obed. David and Bathsheba, we know the story of that. It's been talked about a lot, son Solomon. And then we have Joseph and Mary. And so the pedigree of Jesus, if you were a pedigree on dogs, there is a purity that you want in your dogs. If you want to register your dog, does that pedigree not need to be perfect? Well, we're getting ready to find out that the pedigree of Jesus was not perfect. The bloodline of Jesus was not perfect. Matter of fact, it was quite sinful and it was quite atrocious. But even though it was full of sin, it was so full of God's love, redemption, and reconciliation for all. That's what God began to show me as I began to look at these women's lives and the men's life that they're connected with, is these stories, this history of the bloodline of Jesus is full packed with his redemption and drawing and redeeming a people back to himself. It's a love story is what it is. And so I'm going to unpack some of the, this pedigree because as I began to study Tamar's life and I began to study Rahab's life and Ruth's life and Bathsheba's life and even these men of Christ, the, the, the men that the Christ child came through, even though it was ugly, it is beautiful. <laughs> and I hope that I can transfer some of this to you. So who was Tamar? I'm going to give you a lot of history today, but I'm going to give you the context of the history because it's really amazing because I want you to look at this through God's redemption, God's heart to bring a people to himself, okay? That is the joy to the world for the Lord has come. He came to save us from our sin, to redeem us back to himself, amen? And so Tamar tricks her husband Judah, into marrying her. And what even gets more ugly is Judah is her father-in-law. Incest. 
that would be me marrying my son Joel's wife. Put this in perspective. Are you with me? This is the bloodline, the genealogy of our Lord and Savior. But here's what happens is Judah is already married and has three sons. His first son, Er, E-R, marries Tamar. So his son is actually married to Tamar, but he dies. Er has no children with Tamar. And the Jewish custom that if your, if your uh, husband dies, the next brother within the family is to marry that widow so that the seed of that son, Ur, which died, the seed would be carried on to the next generation. Now, that's not our custom, is it? Aren't you glad you don't have to marry your brother's wife if you die? If he dies? You can go ahead and laugh. It seems really comical to me. You're getting a little bit of history here, but it's all about the redemptive work of God. It's all about the seed, the genealogy. And so Tamar then marries Judah's second son, Onan. Anybody named their son Onan lately? And Tamar is now married to his second son, and he dies without having children. And so Tamar is widowed again. Judah has a third son. And this son is under the age of 10, so he is not in childbearing age. He cannot be, he cannot take her as his wife. And so she becomes a widow for many, many years, waiting for this young lad to become a stud. (laughs) We're all talking about the lineage of Jesus here, guys. This is going to get good. And so lo and behold, Judah is too concerned about giving his son to Tamar because he actually thinks that she had something to do with his other two sons' death. So he is not going to give his youngest son to this woman, Tamar. So now here's where it gets really ugly. You you talk about dysfunctional families. Every one of you have dysfunctional families. Every one of you have a story of your own junk and your own family secrets. I know some of the family secrets in my family, and they don't get talked about. Grandpa and grandma and this and that and all the things that went down. Because we're born into sin, are we not? You want to know how the story keeps going? I'm glad you're on the edge of your seat. You want to know how she tricked Judah into marrying her? It gets really good. She puts a veil on, covers her face so she does, he doesn't know who she is. And she prostitutes herself to Judah. And he consummates that prostitution with a goat and pays for her services with a goat and some other stuff. And she becomes pregnant. When Judah finds out that she's pregnant, he's ready to reprimand her and correct her. And he's ready to do what should be done which was what? Stoning. And she goes, do you remember that night when you were not so scrupulous in your behavior? And you, that was me. 
humility came over Judah. And he says, you are better than I. I was the one who sinned. And so Judah takes Tamar as his wife. And the bloodline of Jesus is produced from that seed. The seed of sin. Does that blow anybody else away besides me? That one of those twins, Perez, is the bloodline of our genealogy of our Lord and Savior. Now, it only gets worse because Rahab is our next woman, and she's a prostitute as well. She's the great, great, great grandmother of King David. And Rahab, if you remember the story when the Israelites were coming out of the desert and they were getting ready to take Jericho, they send spies into Jericho to find out what they need to do to take the city. And these spies are held up in Rahab's house under the thatch of her roof, and she hides them as they come to get those because they hear, the leaders hear that they're in there. And she actually hides them in her home. And actually, you're not going to believe this, but her husband, Salmon, was one of those spies that she hid in her roof. She's mentioned here in the word of God. And she is a Gentile prostitute. What were Gentiles? They were classified as dogs. Absolutely. They were despised by the Jewish people. And so God uses a Gentile, a prostitute, that the bloodline of Jesus Christ would come through. God went to great lengths to save Rahab from judgment and a lifestyle of prostitution. Did you hear me? God went to great lengths to save her from judgment and from prostitution as she was sympathetic to the children of Israel coming into her own town, and God delivers her. Matter of fact, um, what not only an adulteress, but she was infamous for many other things in that land. But here's the great thing about Rahab is Rahab was redeemed, and Rahab was brought into being in the covenant of Israel, even though she was a Gentile. It's a powerful story. You can go ahead and read it. But then our our Lord comes through that bloodline. The other one, if we look at Boaz and his wife, Ruth, Ruth had lost her husband, and Boaz was her kinsman redeemer, But Ruth, as well, was a Gentile. She was from Moab. Do you guys realize who the Moabites were? The Moabites were the people who came from Lot. So we had Abraham and his nephew, Lot. And when Abraham and Lot parted ways, Lot went to the east on the other side of the Jordan. And Abraham stayed in Hebron, and he stayed there. But when Lot went 
and he went to Sodom and Gomorrah. We know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and how God destroyed it. But it's all about God redeeming his people. It's not about God's judgment and God destroying. He's actually preserving Lot out of the land. You, you see his redemption in that. But the Moabites were actually come from Lot's lintage. So they were separated. What is God doing? He's reconciling Lot back. But guess what the daughters of Moabites are? They were, the, were, they were Lot's daughters. And they, 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 they had children. The Moabites were children from Lot's daughters who came through incest. God's saying something about Ruth is being redeemed back from a Gentile, from a Moabite. I mean, do you see the redemption of God that he's taking that which is wicked and he's redeeming it back to himself? He's taking the brokenness of all of our lives, the lives of the lineage of Jesus, and he's, he's taking the brokenness that we all experience. Some of our families have this in them. Again, God's heart of love and redemption. And even the Gentile, who has always been in God's heart, God was about redeeming even the Gentiles. God redeeming love is what the storyline is with, with Ruth and Boaz. And God restoring Lot's lineage back to Israel. Again, God restoring Lot's lineage of the Moabites back to Israel, the family of God. And then we have Bathsheba, who doesn't even get her name <laughs> from Matthew. She's mentioned by implication only as Uriah's wife, not David's wife. Do you hear me? She's mentioned as Uriah's wife, not David's wife. According to commentary by Carson, Matthew's peculiar way of referring to her as Uriah's wife may be an attempt to focus on the fact that Uriah was not an Israelite, but that he actually was a Hittite. And the Hittites believed in many gods. The Hittites were polytheistic, and they believed in the sun god and the moon god and the, the water and all that kind of stuff. And again, God uses the corrupt evilness of the generation. And again, God's redemptive love, working by his grace in and through sinful man, truly, as I was reading this and looking at all that went through, because I can even talk about the sin of Judah. I can talk about Sa Salmon's and Boaz. Boaz was pretty righteous. David, we know what David did. He literally had Uriah killed. I mean, the, the things that these men and these women did, and they're part of the bloodline of our Lord and Savior that we're celebrating, and Matthew's talking about the gene genealogy of Jesus, that the bloodline of Jesus was not perfect. It was ugly. Can I have an amen? Men and women notorious for the evil character and sin are in the direct bloodline of Jesus. 
and Jesus was not a descendant of a pure line in, that, in the natural, but it was making something possible, making it possible for Jesus to fully represent our fallen race and our fallen nature. When you think of what Jesus was doing as he was coming through this bloodline, he was associating with sinful man, though he was without sin, though he was spotless and he was pure, he was, a, he was coming through a bloodline of sin in order to redeem a bloodline of sin. Jesus could fully identify with sinners in his genealogy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, my great, 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 great grandmother, she was a prostitute. Yeah, my great, great grandfather, King David, was an adulterer and a murderer. Jesus is all about redemption, and that's what I was seeing as I was studying this about Advent. I was just seeing the generation, and I was seeing the bloodline. The very, from the very point of creation, from the very simple history of our Lord and Savior, that this bloodline that Jesus was born into, this genealogy, though it was corrupt, he was coming to redeem it. He redeemed his fallen, sinful family bloodline. And he redeems our fallen, sin, sinful, and ugly family bloodline. Anybody ashamed of their family bloodline? Is there anything in your family bloodline that looks a little gross? Well, the good news, whatever the ugliness is in your bloodline, there's good news for it, for you, right? Because I don't know about you, but there's some things in my family bloodline that wants to shame me. There's some things in my bloodline that actually the enemy uses against me to say, you're not enough. Anybody else in this place have any of those thoughts? What about your dysfunctional family line you come from? I call it your blended hodgepodge of a family that the enemy tries to convince you that you're tainted goods. We've all got stories, don't we? We all have stories of our family lines that we're not proud of. There's things I've done that I'm not proud of. There's people I would love to apologize. Anybody else? We may not have come in the natural from a very pure bloodline. Well, maybe we're not pure stock from a natural perspective. Maybe you have an ugly past or a scarlet letter that's on you, and when people see you, you have shame because you know they know your past. And maybe the enemy says, you've sinned way too much, and boy, you keep on sinning too much. 
God can't use you. Shame on you. I thank God that Jesus writes another story. I'm so thankful that Jesus came to the earth. The story that he writes over us is, Eric, you are redeemed. The storyline he writes over me is, you are clean. The storyline he writes over my bloodline is, you are mine. That you have a new bloodline. You have a new family line that I have created for you. You have been adopted. You've been grafted into this beautiful bloodline. Is anybody glad that he changes your bloodline? Is anybody glad he puts you into a righteous family? The power of Advent and Jesus coming to the earth is truly the joy of our salvation given to us by him. Did you hear me? Truly, Advent is this joy of our salvation that we have been grafted in. We have a new bloodline. The blood of Jesus flows through your veins. The joy of our redemption. The joy of our bloodline being changed and adopted. The angel spoke to uh, Joseph in his dream, and he began to tell Joseph of as, he, as, as, as Matthew gives the genealogy, as he gives the bloodline of corruption that brought the Savior, then the angel speaks to Joseph in a dream. And he tells Joseph, Mary will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name, everybody say it, Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. You have been saved from your sins. If you know Jesus Christ, man, somebody shout from the rooftop, I've been saved from my sins. The very goal and the purpose of Advent and Christ coming to the earth was to save you from your sins. There were many people given the name Jesus. Jesus actually was a common name, believe it or not, because they were looking for a Messiah. They were looking for a Savior. It was actually a common name that the angel told Joseph to name him. The name Jesus means Yahweh is salvation or Yahweh saves. So the very function as the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, Jesus shall be his name, Yahweh saves, the very function of who Jesus was, was that his function and his purpose was to save people from their sins and to redeem them back to 
Almighty God. So the angel was telling Joseph that his name declares his function and his purpose, and he will save us all from our sins. So today, if Christ is your Lord, you have been saved from your sins, past, present, and future. And so when I think of lighting the third Advent candle of joy, I think of the joy of my salvation, the joy of my bloodline, the, the joy of the, the genealogy of Jesus and how it was changed and it was shifted because of Jesus' blood and his righteousness that was given to us. I don't know about you, but that excites me. It makes me look at Advent just a little different this year. It makes me realize that God has been in his love and his redeeming work of mankind from the very beginning, and he has set us, us up all to be, be delivered from our sins. He redeems the broken. How many in here are broken? But really we're not because we've been given a new bloodline. Three things that I wanted to say about what, when, when, when the word is saying he shall save them from our sins. He's saving us from three things. He saves you from the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin is spiritual death. Eternal separation from God. When Jesus put you in the bloodline and you accepted Christ into your life, he saved you from the penalty of your sin. Current sin, past sin, past garbage that we just read about Tamar and Rahab and Bathsheba. The penalty of sin is spiritual death. And separation from God, but he has paid the penalty through his blood and his death. I'd say that's Advent worthy. He not only saves you from the penalty of sin, but he saves you from the power of sin. That strong power that tries to enslave you to sin. The Holy Spirit gives you the power to break and to conquer and be delivered from that stronghold that tries to take you down. That literally you've been delivered from it. Few actually receive the deliverance of some of that stuff because they don't understand the bloodline that they've been given to and the power of the Holy Spirit to help conquer those things in our life. I'm telling you, I'm not struggling with the same things I used to, even though there's some things I still have to overcome. But it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. Can I have an amen? amen. If you live by the Spirit, you will not gratify the sins of the flesh. We all need Holy Ghost power. Can I have an amen? Amen. Mm. So he saves you from the power of sin. And then finally, number three, he saves you from the presence of sin. Now that is a future salvation. That there is going to come a day, my friends, when we come out of this place and we are in heaven. And there will be no presence of sin whatsoever. There will be no darkness. There will be no sin. There will be no no sin. And you will be delivered from the presence of sin. And you will be amongst the holy of holies. In the house of God. I'm looking forward to that third part. Anybody else? 
So he saves us from the penalty of sin. He saves us from the power of sin and the presence of sin. One of the Christmas carols that I looked up, is, it was God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. You guys remember that song? God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Who saved us from Satan's power. Joy to the world. Our Lord has come. Let earth. Receive her king. Father, we thank you that the genealogy of Jesus can speak a thousand words. That though our bloodline was corrupt, though our bloodline was full of sin and our families have been twisted, God, I thank you that you have redeemed us from the curse. You've redeemed us through Jesus Christ, your only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him would not perish, but they would have everlasting life. That God, you did not send your Son into the world to condemn us, to tell us how bad we are, but no, to save us, to bring us out of the darkness into your glorious light. Father, I pray that this holiday season, this Christmas season, as we celebrate Advent, God, that we would celebrate the joy of our salvation. That, God, you truly came to deliver us from our sins and from Satan's snare. And we give you praise for that in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody say, amen. amen. Give the Lord some praise.